All right, it's time for A New Hope Part 2. I'm so glad you guys are here today. Uh, my name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here at Rice Church Denver, and we are all about helping people follow Jesus. We wanna help you follow Jesus, and for you in turn to help others follow Jesus, because following Jesus is the path to the fullest life and the only path to eternal life. So welcome. Um, give you guys a, a, a pat on the back for being here this morning on this snowy Sunday. Give you guys a pat on the back. And you know, I, I have to tell you guys, when I got here first thing in the morning, there was a huge group of volunteers who were here before me and they had been practicing, they'd been setting up and getting everything ready. So let's give a hand to all of our faithful volunteers, all the people serving in our church. Man, you guys are the best. We, we love you so much. Um, well, welcome online, welcome in person. We are going to jump into part two of our series, A New Hope, through the book of Habakkuk. And today we are going to ask and listen to what God has to say to answer a really difficult question. Why does God allow evil? Why does God allow evil? There was a survey done a few years ago and they asked people, if you could ask God any question, what would it be? And the number one question that people said they wanted to ask God was this. Why does God allow evil? Why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? And it's a great question. And it's a question that leads a lot of people away from faith in God. I shared about a young man I talked with in my message last week. And he had said that he'd grown up in faith, but he walked away because of how much pain, suffering, and evil he saw in the world. Some of you might even feel that way right now. Some maybe even shared you this, this message with you because you have that question. Because there's a lot of bad things in our world, right? And where is God when that's happening? Is he even there? The French author Jules Renard once said, I don't know if God exists, but it would be better for his reputation if he didn't. Because if there is this evil, why doesn't he step in and do anything about it? So we are not afraid of the tough questions here and neither is God. In fact, he gave us this whole book of the Bible, Habakkuk, which asks and answers some of these really difficult questions. So that's what we are going to dive in today. Um, a lot of theologians and phil philosophers consider this the hardest question to deal with and answer. And it leads a lot of people to, to not believe. So we are gonna find the answer in the next 25 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, right, we probably won't, okay? And yet we can learn at least a little bit from God what he has to say in response to this difficult question. So what we're gonna do today is we're going to think. This is a message that will be a little more philosophical, a little more theological than maybe some of you are used to. And if that's you, I want you to think today. Can we focus? In the words of your third grade teacher, let's put your thinking cap on, okay? Can we do that today? I know this is meaning we're gonna to need to think, we're gonna to need to focus. And if you're like, well, Matt, what does it practically mean for my life? You need to come back next week. This is going to be a little more of a heady message, but I think we need to think about it first. And then next week, we're gonna talk about what it actually means for our lives and how do we get through some of the evil, suffering and hard things, okay? Is that all right? Okay, so today what we're gonna do is jump into Habakkuk chapter one, verse 12, and we're gonna cover all of chapter two, which is a lot of scripture. We're gonna move pretty quickly, so I need you guys to focus, pay attention, take notes if you need to, and um, if you have your Bible, open up to Habakkuk chapter one, 12. If you have your smartphone, use the YouVersion Bible app, and you can find our Rise Church Denver event and save your notes right there. This might be one of those messages you wanna take some notes on because we're gonna see five different responses that God has for us in his word to answer this question, why does God allow evil? Five responses, and it's not all of them, but they are gonna be five pretty clear answers from this scripture. 
So let's look at Habakkuk 1.12 together, where Habakkuk brings his second complaint to God. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Okay, so what's going on here? Habakkuk is a prophet. And a prophet was someone who's a spokesperson for God. There's a bunch of different prophets in the Bible. This is, he's considered a minor prophet, not meaning he's lesser, but just he has a short book, just three chapters. And Habakkuk's prophecy is a little different than what we often get in the other prophets because here he complains to God. He questions God. He's angry at God. And he has recorded what he says to God. And then God responds to him. It's really fascinating how God put this in his word. He wants us to have this, the, the, this question. So we looked at his first question last week because he was in a time where things were bad in the nation of Judah. Um, God's people were under foreign rule of the Assyrians. Things were bad. The nation had turned away from God. There was a lot of sin, a lot of evil, a lot of corruption in their country. And Habakkuk's like, when are you gonna deal with all the bad stuff in our country? Like, where are you? Why haven't you done anything? And God said, oh, I am doing something. I'm going to bring something to bring judgment and it is the Babylonians. So in this passage here, when he talks about them, he's talking about this foreign nation, the Babylonians. So basically God said last week, like you think bad, things are bad in your own country that there's injustices happening, sin just allowing to, to go on, evil to happen. Don't worry, I'm going to bring some justice. I'm gonna get rid of the bad guys by bringing in someone who's even worse. That was God's answer last week. You think these people are bad? I'll take care of them by bringing in even worse people, the Babylonians who will attack you and bring judgment and justice to those people who have been unjust. So now he's like, wait a second. You, God, are good. You're pure, perfect. He says that. You're pure. You're holy. He even says, my God, my holy one in verse 12. As far as I can tell, this is the only time in the Bible where someone is, calls God my holy one. Like there's a personal relationship. I love you, God. You're holy, you're perfect, you're righteous. Why then do you allow evil, even use evil for your purposes? Doesn't make sense. And he makes that complaint pretty clear if you keep reading in verse 13. He says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? If you're perfect, God, why do you allow evil to happen? What are you doing? Aren't you gonna do something about it? This is that philosophical question, right? This theological question that leads a lot of people away from faith in God. If there's so much evil, God, why don't you do something about it? How could you even allow, let alone use evil people like that in our world? The Scottish philosopher, David Hume, who a lot of people look up to as the father of skeptics today, he wrote this argument that's often called the problem of evil. And he said, this is why we shouldn't believe in God. He said, is God, he asks, willing to prevent evil, but not able? Then he is impotent. Is he able, but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Why then is there evil. And that led David Hume and a lot of people since then to not believe in God because of this problem of evil. It's very similar to what Habakkuk is saying, okay? If, if you're good and if you're powerful, then why don't you do something about this? If you're not doing something, where are you? 
This is the deepest, hardest question, and we're tackling it today. So we are gonna see from God five different reasons why God allows evil, because he is all-powerful, he is all-good, and he still allows evil and suffering to exist in our world. So why is that? Here are the five things we're gonna learn. And it's in response to the question, why does God allow evil? So the responses are all gonna be because of these five reasons. So here's our first one, if you're taking notes. Because he made us free. He made human beings to be free, to have their own moral decisions and will. And because of that, there's a lot of evil in this world. This answer actually comes from Habakkuk's own complaint. He kind of hints at this answer already in his question. I think he knew, hey, I, I know why some of this is happening, but I want you guys to see this in verse 14. As Habakkuk is complaining, he says in verse 14, you have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. People are like the fish in the sea. They go wherever they want. They swim around. Like you, you try to control them, you can't. They're just gonna swim everywhere. You try to catch them, they're just gonna wiggle right out. Okay, people are like the fish. We can make whatever decisions we want. And he says, uh, Habakkuk realizes, and this is really bad because then somebody can throw a net in there and catch you and kill you, which is what happens. Human beings are given by God the free choice to choose right or wrong. That's how he created us. In the garden, he created us perfect. At the very beginning, he created Adam and Eve. And he said, hey, you guys have freedom. I'm giving you all the good things. Everything is perfect here. You want nothing, need nothing. Just don't eat from the one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had a choice to make. And what choice did they make? They chose to sin, to break God's rule. They ate from the tree. And that was the start of what theologians call the fall. And if you're like, oh, man, they're the reason why everything's so bad, yeah, you are too. Okay, because you are given free choice too and you have messed up. You have done wrong, you have sinned, you have hurt people, you have lied, you have cheated, and you have done evil. And because of this freedom, we cause a lot of harm to each other and it leads people to want to take more things for themselves than they should take and it causes more and more evil in our world. Because of freedom, we have free choices. Dr. Meg Meeker, in one of her books, tells a story about a time when she was just a young girl learning about this idea, and she and her family were eating dinner with a couple who were Holocaust survivors. They'd gone through Auschwitz and survived. She says, as they were having this conversation with this couple at their dinner table, the couple kept talking about God and their faith. And she was really confused, like, how could they believe in God after seeing and experiencing so much evil? They're seeing their family and friends killed at the hands of the Nazis. So Meg's mom asked this couple, like, how could you still have faith after all that you have experienced? How could you believe in God? And the, the woman of this couple responded. She said, you know, God didn't make the camp or kill the Jews. God made men who are free and gave them the brains that could figure out how to torture other people. She said, I never blamed God for that. In fact, she said, many of us in the camp had faith. In fact, that, that was the only way we had hope to make it through because we believed in a God. She recognized that God had given free will for people to do some evil, awful, terrible things. And it's because of that freedom that we choose, human beings choose to hurt each other and make things worse in our world. A lot of the evil in our world goes back to the fact that God allows us and created us with the freedom to choose to not follow his will. 
And God allows that to happen in order to do something even better. Johnny Erickson Tata said that sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. See, God has a purpose behind here. So we've seen our first reason why um, God allows evil. And the first thing is that he made us free. And the second thing is that he hasn't finished the story yet. And I don't mean that he doesn't know the end of the story. He does. He wrote it before the creation of the world. He knows what's going to happen. He just hasn't brought it to its fulfillment yet. We're still in the middle of the story in that conflict, in that tension where there's still a struggle going on. We haven't seen the end of the story. And that's what God is going to say to now. So Habakkuk finishes up his complaint. And then in verse two of chapter two, God begins to respond to Habakkuk's complaint. Says, then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. In other words, I want everybody to hear what I'm about to say. In verse three, four, God says, the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks to the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Some of you need to memorize this verse because it's not the end of the story yet. We're waiting, we're in this intermediary stage and Habakkuk definitely was because things were bad. The Babylonians hadn't even attacked yet probably when he started writing this book. So he's now a few years, maybe 10, 15 years before the Babylonians would completely destroy Judah. And then it would be, get this, another almost 50 years before the Babylonians would be defeated, which they were. So I don't think Habakkuk would have seen the end of that. Like Daniel was a little child. That's why he was able to make it to the end of the story and and see that. But there's a long time. There might be multiple generations before things are restored to the way God wanted them to be. But he's just seeing in the middle of the story. See, See, God has a plan. He knows the end. And it's not just that the Babylonians are coming, but for us as well. He has an appointed time when things will get better, when there will be an end to our trial and the suffering and evil in our world. Though it linger, he says, wait for it. You ever felt like it's lingering forever? Wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Though it linger, wait for it. That's what God is saying. The story is not finished yet. You get this. We, we took our kids to their um, first movie in a theater last year. Okay, we, we had seen the first Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse with our kids. You guys know that movie? If you don't, it's okay, just not along. We saw the first one. So we're taking them to the second one that came out last summer. They're excited. Their first movie theater. This is a big deal. Get the popcorn. They're excited. We get to the end of the movie and spoiler alert, it's a cliffhanger, okay? It's part one of two. We didn't know that going in, but man, we were disappointed. Have anybody seen a movie like that and you didn't know it was a cliffhanger and then it's over and you're like, what? Are you kidding me? Especially now I gotta wait two more years for the sequel to come out. They still got to film it? Like they haven't even started filming? You guys saw Dune last year, some of you, right? And you're like, what? Didn't even know there was a Dune part two? It's disappointing, right? When you get to the end and you're like, when is the next one coming? We're frustrated, angry. Some people hate those movies because they're like, I didn't know. I should have waited till the second one came out, right? We don't like being left in the tension, in the struggle and in the conflict. And guess what? That's where we are. In human history, we are in the middle of the conflict. The story isn't over yet. But when you do see the sequel, when you get to the climax, when there's finally resolution, then you go, ah, okay, 
The infinity war is over, right? Isn't that what you say? Like, finally, things are good. But if you go back and watch, like, the first movie, like, it doesn't have quite the same amount of tension, does it? Because you know what's going to happen. Like, it's not as scary. It's not as tense. There's not as much conflict because you know the end of the story. Well, God knows the end of the story. He says, it's coming. I've planned it. It's going to be better. Though it linger, wait for it. It's going to be good. You're just not to the end of the story yet. So when we're in the middle right now, we say, why is there so much evil? God is saying, wait for it. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. I have a plan. I have a plan. And that leads us to the next two points because God does have an end to the story and it's going to cause two things. And the first one, point three, is that he will save the faithful. The good, the righteous, those who put their faith in God and his son, they will be saved might be evil and suffering and hardship and trial now, but you will be saved, God is saying. Look at verse four with me, chapter two. See, God says, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. This verse is probably the most famous verse in all of Habakkuk, and that's why next week we're gonna go back and look at it in more depth. The righteous will live by his faithfulness. Meaning God will take those who are living the right way in faithfulness to God and he will save them. They will live even though around them is suffering and death. Even if they die in this life, he's saying they will live. There is hope on the other side of the grave. There will be good. There will be salvation for those who are faithful to God. The righteous will live by faith and God saves the faithful. He always does. Though there is suffering and evil around him, he saves the faithful. It reminds me of the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. God tells Abraham, he's like, I'm about to destroy these two towns, Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's like, wait, like don't destroy them. He said, if you could find God, if you could find 50 righteous people, don't destroy those cities. And God says, okay, sure. He negotiates. I won't destroy it if there's 50 good people in that city. And then Abraham's like, well, what about 45? And God says, okay, 45. And then Abraham keeps negotiating. What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? Would you save that city for 10 righteous people? And God says, yes, I will save even just 10 righteous people. But there weren't 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. There was four. Do you know what God does in the very next chapter? We don't realize that these are connected. The very next chapter, God sends in a couple of angels on a rescue mission and he rescues Lot and his family and gets them out of there because they're the only faithful people in that entire two towns. He still rescues. He rescues every single one. There's not one faithful person who will not be saved by God. That's the heart of our God. And in fact, this is the reason why God is allowing some of the evil and suffering in our world because he hasn't saved everyone yet. In 2 Peter 3, 9, we're told this. The Lord isn't slow about keeping his promises as some people think he is. In fact, God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. We have a saying here, right? Seek the one. See, God is the one who seeks the one first. If there's one person who might repent and find eternal life, if there's one person who will be faithful, God will save that one person. He even sends us to go and seek the one, right? And that's why sometimes he allows bad things to happen because he's like, I wanna save as many as possible and I will save every single last one even if it means things are hard in the meantime. There was a pastor who went to get his haircut at a barbershop. Yeah, it wasn't me, okay? He sits down, <laughs> yeah, Sawyer. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
does like his haircuts. Okay, so he sits down in, a, in, the, in the barber ch- shop chair and, and the barber starts talking to him and he says, you know what? I, I can't believe you're wasting your life as a pastor because God doesn't exist. The pastor says, well, why do you say that? The barber says, well, look at all the suffering and evil in the world. God can't exist if he allows all that to happen. So the pastor just kind of nods along and sits there, gets his haircut finished. He pays and he goes out and walks out of the barbershop and there on the street he sees a homeless man, real mangy, long, ratty, nasty hair. So he brings the man into the barbershop and he says, hey barber, I don't believe in barbers. The barber's like, what? Why would you say that? And the pastor's like, well, look at this guy. Look at his nasty, long, terrible hair. If you see hair that bad, that means barbers can't exist. And the barber's like, no, no, no. It just means he hasn't come to me yet. And in the same way, evil exists because people have not gone to God yet. See, he's waiting patiently because he wants us to repent, to come to him and find salvation by faith. And let me tell you, I am so glad that Jesus didn't come back while I was in high school. Can I get an amen from somebody on that one? Think about it in your own life. Aren't you grateful he didn't come back while you were still living in sin and addiction and turned away from him? Aren't you glad that he waited until you had found salvation and eternal life? And what if by waiting just a little bit longer, he could save another person that you care about? someone you love, wouldn't it be worth the evil and the suffering that we have to experience in the meantime? I'm telling you, I would. I'd wait. That's how God is. He wants to save as many as he can. So that's our third reason. He will save the faithful. And the fourth one is the flip side of this. Because he will bring perfect justice. Why is he waiting? So that justice can actually happen in this life and the one to come. It's interesting, this next section of Habakkuk chapter two, God gives five reasons why the Babylonians are really bad. He doesn't disagree with Habakkuk. He's like, oh, they're not as bad as you think. No, he's like, no, they're worse than you think. They're evil. And here's five terrible things that they do. And here are five ways that they are actually going to face judgment in their own way. So I'm just just gonna show you two. So look with me in verse six, the second half of verse six. God says this about the Babylonians. Woe to him, woe to the Babylonians who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? They're ripping people off, taking advantage of people. But this is what's gonna happen. Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. God is saying the Babylonians will take advantage of people. They will steal. They will take things that do not belong to themselves. And guess what? Eventually, someone will come and take what's theirs. And that is what happened in history. The Persians came and destroyed the Babylonians and everything that they had stolen from others got stolen from them. Justice actually happened in this life. And sometimes we see that in our own world when people like Bernie Madoff fall or or Enron or Elizabeth Holmes, they, they deceive other people, steal from them. They face judgment in this life. And sometimes God is just allowing justice to take place. Let's look at the second example of this in verse 15. God says, woe to him, again, the Babylonians, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. This is mean they're taking advantage of people sexually. Verse 16, 
You, the Babylonians, will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. You're taking advantage of people physically and sexually. You are shaming them. You will be shamed. And this too happened to the Babylonians. And it happens in our world. We've seen it happen a bunch in Hollywood because of the Me Too movement, haven't we? People that are taking advantage of young women, young men, they're facing their own judgment. Harvey Weinstein, R. Kelly, Bill Cosby. We see these people fall and be disgraced in this life, right? But do you know why we need God in this evil world? Because nothing can actually bring perfect justice in this world. We need another life after this one. And I know this because just a few years ago, Ariel Castro was arrested. Do you remember him? He's the guy who kept a bunch of women captive in his basement as slaves. When he was eventually arrested, he went through a trial and he was sentenced by a jury of his peers to 1,000 years in prison because they knew one lifetime is not enough to punish him for what he did to those women. We need something beyond the grave. Do you know what's even worse about this story? One month into his 1,000-year sentence, he hung himself with his bedsheets. One month of prison for all that he did to those women? It's not enough. We need there actually to be a hell. We need a God who can bring justice on the other side of the grave. There's a lot of things that happen in our life and people do not get their just due in this lifetime. But we can trust God who will bring perfect justice in the end. He will. Whether in this life or the one to come, people will face perfect justice for what they did. And I know a lot of us look at God when we ask this question and we're like, I think I would do things differently. You ever thought that? I know I have. Like God, if I were in charge, I'd get that person back. I would not allow that to happen. I would stop that person before that did that. And that person would face way more punishment than they ever did. They got away with nothing, right? I, I think the, past, the French pastor, JML Monsabre, somebody predict correct my pronunciation after the service. Well, the, the French pastor said this. He said, if God would concede me his omnipotence, his power for 24 hours, you would see how many changes I would make in the world. But if he gave me his wisdom too, I would leave things as they are. If we could know what God is doing and how he's allowing things to happen, giving patience to the people who need it, bringing justice and judgment to the people who are going to need that too. If we could see all that he is doing in the world, I think all of us would trust him and say, I think you know what you're doing. I think there's more than even these five reasons why you allow evil in this world, God. And the biggest reason of all, and the fifth one, is because he will be glorified. He will be glorified throughout all of this, through human history, with, with the evil that allows to happen, the suffering. At the end, he will be the most glorified. This is what he says in verse 14. God says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Do waters cover the sea? I mean, yes, okay, right? So in the same way as the sea is filled with water, God's glory will be filling the earth and people will have the knowledge of it, meaning every single human being will one day know what God is doing and they will look and they will be inspired to worship him in awe. They will, will see his glory and they will know it firsthand. 
After we go through hard things in our life, we actually enjoy things even more on the other side. You guys all know this to be true. I remember for us going through five years of infertility made us enjoy having McKinley so much more than had we not suffered. I wouldn't go back and go through those five years again, but man, did it make us enjoy it. We talked to another couple who went through infertility longer than us. And they said, you know, now that we have a baby, we fight over who gets to change the diaper. Because going through pain and suffering actually opens up our heart to enjoy the good on the other side. And that's why we're gonna look at God, that he came through, that he vanquished evil, that he conquered over all things. And we can see his plan intricately woven throughout all of human history and through our lives. And we'll say, wow, that's glory right there. That's amazing. And we will bow down and worship him because we could never have conceived of something that great. So that's the fifth reason why God allows evil, for his glory, for his glory. And if you're ever thinking, but Matt, you don't know about my hard thing, about my suffering, about this thing I know about with this innocent person suffering, let me tell you that there was actually only one person in human history who truly suffered innocently. And it was God's own son, Jesus Christ. And that was the plan all along. For hundreds and thousands of years, people waited for it. It lingered, right? Wait for it. What? The son of God is coming. The Messiah and Jesus himself walked among us and he was the actual righteous one who never did anything wrong, never sinned. He spoke the truth. He loved people. He served people. He gave his life for other people. And instead of receiving good rewards and having a good, comfortable, nice life, he was rejected. He was betrayed. He was beaten. He suffered an unjust trial and was given a sentence he did not deserve. They whipped him. They beat him. They spit on him. They stripped him naked so that he felt the shame that we experience. And they hung him up on a cross to die. I think Elizabeth Elliot was right when she said our vision is so limited, we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in protection from suffering. The love of God did not protect his own son. God allowed evil to happen. And on that day when Jesus died, it looked like evil had won, that Satan was victorious. And that's when the earth shook because though they waited on the first day, on the second day, it lingered, didn't it? On the third day, when they waited for it, Jesus conquered over death. He was raised from the dead and appeared to over 500 people over a span of 40 days. Jesus resurrected, showing that God has power over the greatest evil of sin, death, and the devil. And if God can conquer over that, he can conquer over every single other evil and suffering that we deal with now. Because Jesus is victorious. And, and I love the way that this passage ends in Habakkuk chapter two, verse 20. Listen, listen to this verse with me. God says this, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. See, right now, God is in heaven. Jesus is seated on a throne. Just as you are seated in front of me, Jesus is on his throne. And he has power over all things. And one day he will return. We look forward, that's what we're waiting for. Jesus will come again and he will judge the living and the dead. He will come with the keys of death and Hades in his hand. He will have a sword out of his mouth, the word of God. 
And on his thigh, there's something tattooed. It says, King of kings and Lord of lords. And all the nations will bow before him. Those who oppose him and do not believe will be cast out to face the judgment they deserve. And Satan himself will be thrown into the lake of fire for evil to be vanquished once and for all. And all the things that have gone wrong in this world will be made right. There will be no more sickness, sorrow, pain, or death. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be healing for the nations. And Jesus will reign with us in perfection forever. Though it linger, wait for it. And when we think about all this, we may still say, well, I do it a little differently. Well, maybe, but one day you'll, you'll be silent before him. And I think that's why we need to take a moment to be silent before our God who rules everything. So take a moment right now in silence. Lord God, we're silent. Though we have objections and complaints, at the end of the day, we have nothing to say. You are God and we are not. Though we don't understand it, you do. And you've had a plan all along since before the creation of the world to save us through your son, Jesus Christ. And we wait for the day when he will come and make all things right. And until that day comes, help us to trust you even when it doesn't make sense. Now with eyes closed, I know that there are some of you who, who have had this objection. Maybe you've walked away from faith and you've struggled to believe because of the evil and suffering in the world. Let me tell you, Jesus suffered and died for you. And by his wounds, you can be healed. That salvation is available to you right now. If you would say, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. And you will be saved now and forever. You will be the faithful ones. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond with a simple prayer to repeat after me. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, say this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody around you who needs to pray it for the first time. So with eyes closed, heads bowed, please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Save me, forgive me. In faith, I declare, Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me to follow you even when it doesn't make sense. Now with eyes closed, if somebody said that prayer for the first time and meant it, if Jesus today for the first time is your Lord and Savior, we wanna celebrate with you and we actually have a book we wanna give you to encourage you in your next few steps of faith. So if you said that prayer for the first time, nobody else is looking around except me and a person giving away the book, but put your hand in the air on the count of three. One, two, three. Put your hand in the air if you made that decision today. Hold it up. I see that hand up in the balcony. Let's celebrate with that person who made a decision today. If you're online, go to risedenver.com slash follow. Lord God, we are just so grateful for, for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord God, I just pray that you would um, give us your blessing today and help us to trust you 
and have faith in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the message today. I'm Matt Wolf, lead pastor at Arise Church Denver, and we're all about helping people follow Jesus, and we want to help you follow Jesus. Because of that, if you're newish, even if you're just checking us out online, go down below in the description and fill out that form at arisedenver.com new. And if this message has impacted you at all, please go to arisedenver.com give so that you can give back and help more people find out the message of Jesus Christ.